Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from Training Industry. Welcome to the Business of Learning. I'm Sarah Gallo, an editor at Training Industry, here with my co-host, Taryn H. DeLong, Managing Editor of Digital Content. Today's episode is brought to you by the Training Industry Internal Consulting Masterclass. In today's business environment, the only thing that is certain is that nothing is certain. Learning leaders must consistently work to identify and respond to evolving business needs. Training Industries Internal Consulting Masterclass was designed to help you become an effective business partner through strategic communication skills. Take your L&D career to the next level by learning how to effectively partner with stakeholders for more impactful learning. For more information on the program, visit trainingindustry.com backslash ICMC. Training professionals are not only learning leaders, but business leaders. After all, delivering training programs that drive business outcomes requires a strong knowledge of business priorities and needs, as well as stakeholder support. But partnering with business leaders and gaining a seat at the decision-making table isn't always easy. With that in mind, today we're speaking with Susan Kish, an education and training advocate for the Superior Group, and Elisa Stringer, a project manager and a diversity and inclusion practitioner. They'll share with us how learning and development leaders can build their internal consulting skills and become trusted business partners. Lisa and Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Great. Well, to get started, why don't you both define internal consulting for us? Um, Susan, do you want to start us off? Sure. So when I think about internal consulting, the first word that comes to mind for me is collaborative partnerships. So internal consulting for me is collaborative partnerships across various business lines so that I can apply my broad base of knowledge and experience to help develop those business line initiatives and professional development. Elisa, did you have anything to add on? Absolutely. Susan's response was a great one. You know, in my experience, when I think of internal consulting, it's truly leveraging expertise uh, to improve performance or increase adoption or for what we've seen the past year, really just change behavior across the board. Great. Thanks. All right. So now we've established what internal consulting is, what skills do learning and development professionals need in order to be effective internal consultants in their organizations? And what tips do you have to help them develop those skills? Delisa, do you want to kick us off here? Absolutely. And that question can be answered in so many different ways. But, you know, when I think of what skills do L&D leaders need to become effective internal consultants, I think that uh, being an effective consultant really requires having both technical skills and interpersonal skills. The technical skills are typically specific to your business or your function. For instance, a technical competency could be facilitation, it could be project management, it could even be cost or quality control, right? But then when we look at the interpersonal competencies, that could include things like communication and agility. And I'd like to pull the thread of communication just a little bit because when we talk about being an effective communicator, we're talking about becoming proficient and adaptable in the way you communicate. 
And the reason that having adaptable communication is so important is because you're working with many different audiences as an internal consultant. And knowing what's important to them is important. Um, Knowing when to listen and when to use your voice is important. And it also, being an adaptable communicator also means uh, having a healthy balance that allows you to know when to ask effective questions that can help the group get to the root cause or generate insight and when to inform people. That's excellent. I'm glad that you did pull that thread of communication because that leads right into something else that I was hoping to be able to add. And that is your consulting skills, having, being that creative thinker, being the problem solver and using your curiosity about what someone is interested in pushing forward in their business line or in their department is important. And you need those communication skills to be able to communicate what you're thinking, to be able to communicate solutions to the problems that are presented to you, and then to ask the right questions and that curiosity. Yeah, great. Well, looking at these skills in practice, I'm curious to hear how you both have personally worked to become effective internal consultants at your organizations. Um, Susan, would you like to start us off here? Sure. So I have a unique situation where I'm working with the superior group. I started out with the superior group as a 19-year-old apprentice electrician working out in the field. And then uh, after finishing my apprenticeship program, decided that I wanted to go to college and I became an educator. So I taught K-5 information skills and library media skills to public school children. And then uh, coming full circle was tapped, hey, we need some help with our leadership development. We have no uh, learning and development with the superior group. We'd like for you to come back and kind of head that up. So I'm back at the superior group in a completely different role. And so I've been able to use the technical skills as an electrician, my connections in the public education world to come back and help them get their learning and development program started. I'm a team of one right now. So sometimes I feel a little overwhelmed and that's where I take on the role of that internal consultant. They are the content experts. I'm the person that can help them get it organized and help them get their objectives on paper. And then I will pull in those subject matter experts and give them a little coaching on what effective teaching looks like and let them run with it and kind of support them. Because there's no way as an internal consultant that I could perform all those functions of an L&D department. So I feel like those advantages that I had as my field experience as an electrician and as an educator have helped me build relationships with the organization. And then just my love of talking to people and I want to know what they do, I can build on that curiosity. And that's what's made me effective here at the Superior Group. Wonderful. And you know, Susan, being a team of one is definitely not easy and a challenge we've heard here at Turning Industry, just covering learning and development. Do you have any other tips for learning leaders who are that team of one and really have to prove their impact on their own? So data collection is very important. I find that after every session, whether it's a consulting session or something that I'm leading as far as teaching and learning goes, or even when I have those subject matter experts, we're always collecting data after that. And then we sit down and talk about it afterwards to show them the impact that they've had just through 
the learner's statements of how they're going to change their practice or how this impacts them. And then you're also counting things, right? How many people attended and what's the time away from the job? What was the business goal that this met and how has that business goal been achieved or accomplished through that? So the more data you can collect, the more you can go back to business leaders and say, this is the value that we're bringing. And then I, I've actually, after being at this job for about three years now, I've been able to say, and this is why we need more people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Perfect. Well, Delisa, um, I'm excited to hear about your experience as well, if you want to change. Absolutely. Susan and I have very kindred backgrounds in terms of just the contracting world. Um, I work for a general contractor and very familiar with electrical scopes of work. And so, you know, when I think back over the experiences that have brought me to where I am, um, I really do believe that trust is the heart of internal consulting. As Susan touched on building trust at all levels of the organization from leaders to individuals that are on the front lines is so critical. And investing in the time to build and nurture those relationships is really a byproduct of the outcome of creating a relationship of trust. And so uh, most importantly, I think, you know, from an L&D perspective and what building trust looks like, it's important for others to know that you have their best interests at heart and that, you know, your engagement is about doing what you can to make sure that they are successful in what they are doing. So I really do believe trust is the heart of internal consulting. I've spent a lot of my time with folks that are putting work in place as well as decision makers to build that circle of trust. They know that I have their best interests at heart as a result of that. And also for an L&D professional, having um, experience that is rooted in the core business function itself helps create an integrated understanding of what drives the organization's economic engine. And I think that's super critical. You know, myself, for example, I started in, in operations in the construction industry. I'm an engineer by education. So had I not spent the time and the energy really becoming proficient at what being an operations manager looks like or what being an engineer in my field looks like, then it makes it a little harder to relate to people who are on the front lines and to help meet their needs. So having that background and being rooted in the core business, whether it's spending time actually on the job with those individuals or getting some sort of foundation for yourself is super important to becoming an effective internal consultant at your organization. And I'll also just add here, Susan mentioned data. And as an engineer, I've always been fascinated by data. And so there's such an extremely healthy balance between having qualitative data and having quantitative data. Too much of one without the other is, is never really ideal. Um, and so exploring ways to create qualitative data as well as getting more concrete data is super important and can help drive outcomes to become more effective within the organization. Yeah, I want to add to Delisa, what Delisa has said, and that is two words, business acumen. 
they're so important. So everything that we've been talking about here is about your business acumen. So you could come into an L&D department and you have no construction background, no electrical background. It is imperative that you start right then and there building that business acumen, building those trusting relationships, collaborating with those business lines so that you have an understanding of what their goals are. And now you start collecting the correct data so that you can support what it is that you're doing. Thanks. I'm glad you both mentioned trust. I think that leads into the next question I wanted to talk to you about, which is what about learning and development leaders who are maybe struggling to get that seat at the table or who, who don't have strong leadership support? And I imagine that working on building those trusting relationships is a big part of that. But can you speak to what else these professionals can do to kind of help bridge that gap when there isn't that support for learning and development? Absolutely. Um, Susan, would you like to go first? Um, we'll let you go first some... <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to, you know, kind of expand on that a little bit. If I'm taking a look at the broad spectrum of what is L&D's role at the decision-making table, it's to be a strategic partner. And in order to become a strategic partner, it really requires investing in quality time with your stakeholders. And getting to know them on what I like to call a professionally personal level to understand what brings them pause, what's keeping them up at night, what are their concerns about where we're headed with this mission and vision. And so getting time with stakeholders sometimes can be a challenge, right? I think if you're in a, a less matrix organization and you have more of a hierarchy than probably getting time with your your CEO or your VP may be a little bit of a challenge, but I want to pull that thread a little bit and just say that, you know, something that has personally worked for me is that I've found ways to maximize those relationships with other work group leaders outside of the VP or the CEO or whoever that, that direct person was that I was trying to get their attention. So if you already have established rapport with other work group leaders, Explore ways to support their team's mission and vision. I've always been amazed at how our reputations as L&D professionals do depend on us, but they also depend on our engagement with others. So I've had some really influential leaders throughout the company, folks who were not the CEO or folks who were not the VP or the L&D director to really speak on my behalf for the contribution that I've made to their team and the value add that I was able to bring to the table. So finding ways to build a rapport with other work group leaders outside of that person that you're trying to get a direct connection with is super critical. And I often like to say, you know, if you get enough people talking, others will want you on their team. Get enough people to talk about the work you're doing and how and the value you're adding. And people will absolutely take note of that and want you on their team for the next initiative or the next project. And so in addition to maximizing rapport with other work group leaders, I would also like to just say, do what you can to maintain the right motive as an L&D professional. I want to pivot back to the example I gave earlier about building a rapport with other leaders within the matrix. I do not go into my engagements with a self-serving agenda. The goal is consistently and always to help others be successful in the work that they're doing. 
So as an L&D professional, to get a seat at the table, it's really critical and insightful to keep the right motive front and center because it helps you maintain focus on the vision. It helps you support others effectively in what they're doing and the goals that they're trying to reach. And creativity flows and success often becomes a little bit more organic than it normally would, even when curveballs come into play. Perfect. That's awesome. (laughs) That was awesome. I'm going to recruit Delisa right here on the spot. (laughs) Um, That was so well said. And the only thing I would have to add to that is networking. So when you're a department of one, sometimes it can feel difficult to get people on your side. And so I would recommend using resources that you can find at training industry. I can't tell you how many times a day I'm at that training industry website doing searches, trying to find articles, because a lot of times if I can find an article that supports what I'm saying, it makes me that even that more credible, right? There are times people look at me, we were just talking about jigsawing today as a way to deliver some information. And everyone's like, what? And once I was able to show them what it looked like and also present them with some research that backs that up, they were like, okay, they were a little more willing to try it to kind of go out there. It's not something that they've used as a tool. So use those resources that you can find. I'm not beneath every once in a while Googling and hoping I find Harvard Business Review or some some other kind of thing so that you can present yourself with some added credibility there. Great. And I wanted to touch really quick on something you mentioned, Elisa, about the importance of building that rapport. We know a lot of learning leaders are now working remotely and maybe aren't going to swing by that executive stakeholder by the coffee machine anymore. So do you have any tips on how they can really integrate those personal experiences in a virtual environment? Oh, that's a wonderful question. Yeah, you're right. It's tough than ever before, right? To be on another Zoom call or to get coffee time with someone. Again, back to the keeping it professionally personal. I think it's really important to find out and spend time understanding their vision. Where do they see their organization going? What's the current state? What's the future state? And I think also, you know, helping them understand and and getting time with them to talk through what happens if we absolutely do nothing. I call it a a pre-mortem exercise that I like to do. Let's have the conversation about if we absolutely do nothing at all with our L&D initiatives or anything that supports learning, what's at stake? What do we, what challenges do we run the risk of bumping into? And so oftentimes asking that one question by itself, what happens if we do nothing, really generates some insight and will get that other individual thinking about, wow, I really do need to spend some time having this conversation. Or it's really critical that we really stay focused and think through what is it we're trying to achieve? What's our why? behind this. So for me personally, you know, I think the nature of the work that we're doing right now, everything is in a truly Zoom environment. But I think, you know, first and foremost, keeping it short and sweet and staying concise is key, specifically when you want time with leaders and asking the right questions. I found that just coming to the table with more questions than answers sometimes will provoke thinking and often will leave people with a memorable experience enough to want to spend more time with me in the future. 
I was a little more sneaky than Delisa was. Um, when we went to a total online environment using Zoom and Teams, I found that I was struggling getting people to want to meet because they were their days were just filled with meeting after meeting. So I found the uh, human resources business partner for each department and I tackled them first and said, hey, I see that you're going to have a meeting with our virtual design construction VP. Can I hop on and have two minutes just to kind of get some face time and see if there are any needs that I can serve? So I was kind of sneaking around that way. And then once I got my foot in that door, then it was a lot easier to say, hey, I'm following up. We had this two-minute discussion. I've actually found some resources for you. I'd like to meet again and talk about those. And a lot of times I do hitch on to another meeting and ask for just five or 10 minutes of the agenda, get through what I need to get through, and then hop off so that they can address. And that way, someone's not trying to manage you know, a meeting with me, a meeting with HR, a meeting with finance. They can do it all in one concise meeting. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Well, I wish, I wish we could still bring donuts to the office these days. But, you know, we're not doing that much anymore. <laughs> Hopefully someday. Absolutely. Well, you both mentioned your own experiences and gave us some great insights into building those internal consulting skills. But why is that actually so important? Why do L&D leaders need to partner with business leaders and effectively communicate their business impact? Well, training costs money. <laughs> so, and time is money, right? So you, you want to be able that, be able to effectively communicate what it is that you're providing and what, how it is helping strategic plans, strategic alignment and business goals. Because again, those efforts cost money and you want to demonstrate that you are being effective, that you're being efficient and ultimately how that impacts the bottom line. Yes. And to build on what Susan just shared, you know, the role of, I remember when I went through my CPTM training, one of the key takeaways I had is is the role of an L&D strategic partner is equivalent to the role of being a solutions architect. And so a really experienced partner can help co-create solutions to those needs of the businesses via the ways that we've talked about already. And so it's important to know, I think, for an L&D professional that is leaning into internal consulting to understand that often the challenge is not always training. The problem or the challenge that the organization's facing is not always, doesn't always require training. And so I'm an experienced partner, whether the solution, whether or not the outcome is training or not, a really experienced partner can help conduct a root cause analysis to get to the heart of the problem or the challenge that the organization's facing, assist with the necessary data that's needed to validate that challenge or problem, and then make recommendations on the path forward. And like I said, sometimes those recommendations don't involve training at all. Sometimes those recommendations involve a shift in process or a shift in strategy. And so I just think it's really important to to lean into that and to know that as an L&D professional leaning into internal consulting, our job is not to always recommend training. There's an impact to training, as you alluded to in the question, Sarah, but the answer is not always training. Thanks for explaining that connection, Delisa. All right, so to wrap things up today, do you have any final tips for our listeners on how they can be really effective internal consultants and 
partner with their stakeholders to deliver more effective training in their organizations? I think it comes back to kind of revisiting some of the things that we mentioned. We talked about networking. So networking with other L&D leaders, attending those conferences, those webinars, making sure that you're hearing what's happening out in the L&D world. And then networking with business leaders and co-workers in those business lines whenever you can so that your ear is to the ground. What's happening? What are the rumblings? We have in our company, there's a new initiative coming out. And I wasn't part of that initial conversation, but as I heard people talking, I was able to jump in and kind of work my way up the ladder there to find out where was this coming from and and how I could help and be a part of that. So networking is very important. And if you have to start with the receptionist and find out who's meeting in that room over there and what, you know what they're talking about? What's the topic so that you can kind of get your way in there? That's what I would tell people to do. I'd love to connect the dots back to something that Susan said earlier. Consistent two-way feedback has really been my go-to for strategy, for design, for implementation of any sort, for any program or initiative. And so, you know, if I had to leave our listeners with any tips, it's maintain that consistent two-way feedback and communicate continuously. Often, sometimes as an L&D professional, leading into internal consulting, sometimes we're short on resources, we're short on time, sometimes we're short on funding. And so it makes it a really big challenge to launch really important big scale initiatives and for them to be successful when you're a team of one, as Susan put it. And so one thing that I have seen in my career be really successful is when you are a team of one, find ways to pull in other people from other work streams within your business. So someone from IT, someone from, if you're in manufacturing, someone from manufacturing, if you're, if you're focused on um, operations, someone from the operations team, pull in different individuals that have expertise in their different areas and get the group together to really just talk through what will it take for this to be successful? In the construction industry, we do something called pool planning, and I'm sure that it's done in many other industries like manufacturing. But when you pool plan, pool planning is not successful if you just do it by yourself. You have to have all of the different trades, all of the different vendors, all of the different contractors in place in order to figure out what do we all need to kind of get to this end product. And so if you take that manufacturing example and, and use it in the context of other industries, look across your organization and see what other business functions could add value to the conversation. Maybe it's someone from your accounting department. Maybe it's, to Susan's point, a strategic HR partner. Maybe it's someone that's on the front lines, bring in different individuals with different experiences to have the conversation. I guarantee you'll see things from a different lens prior to the way you did coming into the conversation, but it'll also help everyone clarify the objective and get clear on the expectations moving forward. Perfect. On that note, Delisa and Susan, thank you both so much for speaking with us today on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. For more insights on internal consulting, including more information about Training Industries Internal Consulting Masterclass, check out the show notes for this episode at trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, please go and rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. 
We'll see you next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.